If you're disagreeing, you're disagreeing with this halacha, basically. I, 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 I say, yeah. absolutely disagree. With All right, great. So good. That's that's so. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Shabbat ben Ruchu for a second. So let's go. The Yerushalmi. Um, so the Yerushalmi is the uh, the other Talmud, the one we don't study as much. And um, commenting on this, Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, v'hu sheyehe chayav mita kesheva ben Bichri. This law only speaks about someone who would be already liable for death, as Sheva ben Bichri was. For Rabbi Yochanan Amar, af al pisha eno chayav mita kesheva ben Bichri. Um, so Rabbi Yochanan goes beyond what's taught in the Tosefta and says, actually sing, uh, singled out whether or not they were um, uh, condemned to death. So Shiva ben Bichri, um, just if, you're, if you want to write this source to look at, um, in Shmuel Bet, chapter 20, um, this is in the wake of the revolt of Avshalom, who was David's son. Uh, David is, is coming back to try to take his throne back. And uh, as, he's, as he's on his way back to Jerusalem, um, a guy named Sheva ben Bichri um, comes out and says, you know, basically protests against him and says, you know, the words are, um, We have no portion in David, no share in Jesse's son. Every man to his tent, O Israel. Um, and that, which is either a call to revolt against the king um, or it is a, uh, or you, I could read this politically as um, no more society, everybody, you know, everyone for themselves. So it's a subversive, it's a subversive act. The Talmud is taking this as a, as a traitor, a subversive, and what happens in the chapter is that uh, uh, David makes sure his guys go and find this guy um, to, to get rid of him because they're worried about, um, about his continuing to be a uh, traitor in the midst. And, um, and actually, the situation where they found him in a particular city and um, they are surrounding the city and they say, um, uh, hand him over to us and then I will stop besieging the city, says David. And um, what they actually did is the, the people of the city um, uh, execute him and they, um, they beheaded him and they threw him out to David to prove it. So this is the exact situation. So what uh, Rachel Lakish and... Uh, it's different enough to be interesting. I mean, it's different enough to be interesting. Well, so anyway, so just to take the Yerushalmi for a second, uh, Rav ben Lakish says, well, what is it about Shiva ben Bichri? Is it just that, that he was named? He's an example of someone who was named? Or um, is, his, um, is his life already forfeit? In other words, is his, is his life worth less? Um, does Shiva ben Bichri stand for somebody whose life is not worth as much as somebody else? As you say... Is that, so, well, yeah. I'm just referring back to the... Upholding utilitarianism aspect of it, and that. so if you just looked at the Tosefta, didn't know who Shiva and Bichri was, mm. you might think that this is sort of very anti-utilitarian. In that, in the, in the first case, you know, you you think from, at least from a and first analysis, from a utilitarian perspective, that one death is better than better than um, you know, nineteen deaths or something. Like that. So, so you would you would think from that perspective that there has to be some selection. And then, then when, and then when it's modified by the, the, the second part of the, you think that's slightly, that that's slightly more utilitarian, but mm-hmm. only in only only in a in a in a in an aspect which doesn't doesn't really fit in any utilitarian framework. Why why there should be a distinction? But then then if the person's already condemned to death in some way, mm-hmm. then actually you just you you've restored the the. Um, Equilibrium, if you like, 
Mm -hmm. he, he was really going to be dead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in some, in some criteria, so it's, uh, it's equally utilitarian. I'm not sure that tells anything new from a moral perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. It helps us label the... Yeah. I, I'm sorry to... Not at all? Jump in. Um, I'm curious about the nature of the group. Um, because, um, especially in contrast to utilitarianism, here we've got a group. But mm -hmm. what, what I'm not clear about is to what extent are they a cohesive group? Mm -hmm. Are they recognized as a group? And then, then the question is, does an individual represent the group? Or does the individual depart from group mm -hmm. and, and represent only self? Mm -hmm. And then the survival of group is not is um, uh, put out of the question or is not being protected? Um, is the individual representing or is the individual departing from it? Is, ah. is that important to our decision about um, uh, group, group survival? Versus so that's interesting. You could say if, if you're doing this kind of consequentialist thing where, where the, the moral act is, leads to the best consequences, that this, if, it's, if Shiva ben Bichri is someone who has is threatening the group just by his being there, then it might not be or, such a bad harm. Or, to, is, yeah. or a leader acknowledged as a leader or as a representative mm. of some sort of a group that has a particular identity, um, that, um, and, that's, and that's the issue in question, mm. the identity of that group. That's, that's great. That's great. And, uh, and of course, this is a decision that modern Israel has to make all the time. Yes. Uh, recently, there was some young man who killed someone here, and he went to visit a friend of his who was living in Israel. Do you remember this story? Yes. And I know that, for me, the first question was, is this kid who ran away to Israel Jewish or not? And what impact will that have on the state of Israel's decision about whether to send him back to America for um, trial? Because there's always a question, you know, various sorts of... Uh, uh, mobsters have gone to Israel who were Jewish. Uh, who was it who supposedly went to Israel? Mm. Some gambling mobster went to Israel and tried to stay based upon being Jewish, and therefore he should not be sent out of the country. And actually, the, um, the other set of sources, in addition to this, which is um, uh, Dr. Zolov refers to these as, as siege texts, because uh, going back to Sheva ben Bichri in the Tanakh, the other is uh, Pidyon Shvuyim, which is in the Middle Ages, Jewish communities were constantly, uh, you know, someone was, was kidnapped, um, or in the case of the Tsar's army, um, someone taken into military service, and uh, the question was, could the community uh, ransom these people back, and how much? And, and directly they talk in the halakhic sources about utilitarian questions, if we, you know, if we pay... <coughs> uh, right, if you negotiate with terrorists, then that just encourages more, and so you have... Uh, you have that in there. But there seems to be a kind yeah. of tension between thinking about justice uh, qualitatively and quantitatively. So, mm. like the utilitarian model is, you know, quantitative. Like, how much justice against how much mm -hmm. the amount of thing. And um, the qualitative is more like the Kantian idea. You know, that there's an end in itself. And is there a way to synthesize those? So let's so let's look at one more thing, and let's try to let's try to do that. That's really the, that's that's a good question here. Um, the Meiri is one of the medieval commentators on the Talmud, and he um, uh, and he brings this discussion in in a different context. But he um, but he throws another another wrinkle. In Sarich Lomar Adam goes without saying that in the group in the um, in the case of a group of people who had among them a person who is a trefa, and I'll explain what that is. Uh, 
It should give him over and not be uh, killed. Because anyone who kills a trefa is exempt from the death penalty. So trefa is a, uh, an interesting term in halacha, which refers to a person who has a terminal illness, uh, uh, an organic, something which in a, in, a period, in a likely period of time, not today and tomorrow, um, which is a different category, and there are different laws, but as a person who is, um, uh, who is, whose death is already foreseen. And in halakha, a person who uh, kills a trefa is not liable for the, is not themselves, has not committed a capital crime, obviously committed a crime, but is not um, executed the way that a person who, who does a, uh, a premeditated murder is in halakha. So this, is it, do you kill older, is it easier to kill older people than... Well, so this whole issue of the trefa goes goes to these questions of again the this uh, uh, in the in the question. So the, we have the casino type question and the question of the allocation of healthcare, which is another one of these things. Um, can we set up a system in which we um, in which we have to make decisions about who gets what care and we pool our resources to fund that? That's also a, a same kind of thing. So um, so Meiri. Um, and so he's hundreds of years later, and he's the only, he's the first one to throw this into the mix to say that well maybe um, maybe against maybe some person's life um, can be measured against against not giving up life in this way. So the question that you are asking without the name tag, so I can't even stare at your yeah. name tag, Ian, was um, ask your question again about can these be? Oh, the quality. Yeah, quality. yeah, yeah. So like you know, it seems like we have this idea of the justice. They're like justice formulas, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of you know, balance it out. We have this kind of qualitative aspect to it, as opposed to a qualitative approach where you have these kind of categories of things um, that, you know, is, are they Jewish or not? It's these kinds of things that you make your decision on. And um, like, I'm just wondering if there's a way to bring those together so that you can, you can, you can think about both of those things so, so can we do that? If we have this, if we have, so, so the, the utilitarianism concept maybe gives us a label, um, and this and, uh, quantitative is a nice way to put it. And we have now a discussion which clearly is dealing with that question of the, of the, relative, the one versus many and the relative values potentially of, uh, of one person's life against another. So can we, so what are we dealing with here? Do we have a, are the rabbis working out a utilitarian answer in some form? To this question, or are they rejecting, or are they doing something, something in between? I think like this could be helping explain what is pleasure in life, mm-hmm. and what are those important values to fall in. So you're saying that um, by defining these categories of people who themselves experience pleasure or pain, or the group experiences pleasure or pain through their continuing to live or, or dying. It seems like it's, it's a way of tipping the scales in one direction or another mm-hmm. on the interest of the larger group versus the smaller group. And, and, and it doesn't matter what the context is. Um, I mean, the, the, the advantage, the example that keeps popping in my head is, uh, I think they're called cafe standards, mileage per gallon. On that. We know that if we demand higher standards, then it'll cost more to drive automobiles and be a certain economic effect there, and if we if we improve uh, mileage, then the number of people who die from respiratory illnesses will also will be reduced. So how do you how do you make these balances? How do you, how do you decide whose life is more important? Yeah. 
there's a second question about you know, illnesses that come out of. So the, the classic criticism of utilitarianism is the case of the, the Ford Pinto in the 70s, where, we, where it was discovered that the auto company calculated the cost to them of not fixing a safety hazard and decided it would be cheaper to pay off the claims than to, than to, um, than to fix the problem. And I think when you look at this source, which says, you know, when it comes to the question of one, whether one life can be traded against the welfare, that usually it can't, but sometimes it can. And the rabbis seem to be trying to hunt for some, in a way, utilitarian answer to that question. But, but the overall question, um, they, their answer is, under normal circumstances, no, we don't, trade, we don't trade a life. Now, I started with the question of, of the casino gambling, where where we're talking about a harm and not a life. So I'm wondering, you know, that leads me, you know, that still leaves me with whether I've answered that question, which I'm not sure I have directly. But um, what I want to do, actually, in the interest of throwing one more thing out there, is to just is to, is to let just the taste of that go there and say that, so here we are. We have, a, we have a label from philosophy. We have some Jewish texts which maybe map onto that, but which also question that. And it does leave us with this question, how much should we extend it? And as a rabbi, I wouldn't say this gives me a, a psak halakha. It doesn't clearly apply to the case I was given, but it might start to suggest some, some principles I can, I can work with. Um, the other area that I think is fascinating in, from Sandel um, goes directly to the question of uh, distributive justice. And the way that uh, Sandel sets it up is, um, can we have a system of taxation um, in which we compel some people to share what they have in order to... Uh, uh, in order to benefit other people. And, um, and as I've studied the, the halachot of tzedakah, it occurred to me that here's another case where we have two, where we have two um, approaches that are running on similar tracks and trying to answer the same question of what our obligations are. So um, just to, for your reference here on the, first, on the cover sheet, um, I made reference to this philosophy of egalitarianism, which is associated with a... Uh, another Harvard philosopher named John Rawls. And um, what's interesting about Rawls is he attempts to, um, he's criticizing the idea that, um, that simply the real very libertarian idea that I have what I have, no one can take that away from me. If I acquired something justly, if I worked hard, I didn't break any rules, I'm entitled to what I have, and no one can come and say 10% of that or 20% of that belongs to somebody else, to society, or we can give it to somebody else. And so, um, so he's trying within our tradition, modern tradition of uh, the social contract, the idea that we've banded together for the good of one another, um, he's trying to come up with um, what's, what really is a fair way to, um, again, balance between the individual and the group, the individual's um, acquired income and wealth, um, versus the community's well-being, especially the well-being of people who, are, who aren't well off at all. And um, so his, um, his great innovation was to uh, imagine that the way a social contract would be written that is just uh, is not like our constitutional convention where a group of actual people got together and wrote the constitution and they handled, you know, there was, there was back and forth and whatever they in reality came up with, that's the system we're living with. Um, so he comes up with the idea of uh, what he calls an original position, which is a, an imaginary thing. Um, and a, a veil of ignorance. So I just want to read this passage um, here about, about that. The idea of the original position is to set up a fair procedure so that any principles agreed to will be just. Now, in order to do this, I assume that the parties are situated behind a veil of ignorance. 
They do not know how the various alternatives will affect their own particular case, and they are obliged to evaluate principles solely on the basis of general considerations. It is assumed, then, that the parties do not know certain kinds of particular facts. First of all, no one knows his place in society, his class position or social status, nor does he know his fortune in the distribution of natural assets and abilities, his intelligence and strength and the like. As far as possible, then, the only particular facts which the parties know is that their society is subject to the circumstances of justice and whatever this implies. It is taken for granted, however, that they know the general facts about human society. So he's imagining that the just answer to the question of how much am I entitled to my own, the product of my own labor and wealth, and how much do I have to share, would be answered by a group of self-interested people like us who were together negotiating a contract, social contract, behind a veil of ignorance. So in other words, we gather around this table, but as we enter the room, uh, our actual identities, um, so even whether we're male or female, where we live, where we come from, um, what race we are, all of that is uh, lifted out of our brains and deposited on the table, and we come here, and all we know is that we are 20 people, and, we, and, and one or the other of us has your life, and one or the other of us has your life, and one or the other of us has your life. But after we, but we're not going to know who, who has whose life until we leave the room with an agreement. So under those conditions, um, people will try to calculate what would be uh, an outcome they could live with, I guess. Are you, is it with someone raising a hand? Were you raising a hand, a question about that? So, um, so I actually, I ran this simulation in my ProStar class the other day, and I imagined five people, you know, poor and rich in different configurations, and I said, uh, and, and so I said, here are a number of different approaches to these approaches, basically, that are listed on the first sheet. Uh, which one would you uh, choose? Now, John Rawls says a group of people in that situation will opt for, um, will opt for the solution, which I, I put on the first sheet, which is that they will say that, in, that inequality is permitted, but only as much as it will allow the least well-off to, um, to be better off. So, um, so in other words, they, they, this group of people would reject the idea of um, uh, to each, was it, from each according to his abilities to each according to his needs. They will not throw all the common property in and divide it up equally. They will not be socialists. They will not be libertarians. They will not say, I get to keep what is mine. But they will opt for something where those who happen to be well off will get to be well off, but also those who are in bad shape will get some, will get lifted up in the, in the process. And uh, so, do you want to just ask any, any questions about that before we, yeah. It made me think a little of the term um, Ubuntu in South Africa. Mm. That means, I am if you are. Meaning, if, if I am able to be, I have to make sure that I help you to be the person you need to be. And as a mother of many kids in my family, I'm a mother of six. I cannot treat my children equally because mm. we are different individuals. And I, I can put the solid base to let them be what they need to be. The ingredients mm. that they need in their life to, be, to really fulfill what is fine and good for them. And, and not in the happiness or unhappiness that we see in our modern societies mm -hmm. or old, based on Hollywood or whatever, but just in a pure contentment to be able to say, I am the person I need to be doing what I need to do and um, being what I want to be, things like that, very human rights. Like so, 
So that's good, and I want to use that to jump into uh, into the Jewish text. But um, but just to note from from Rawls is in this tradition that uh, says that um, again, it doesn't really matter who we are and what our ties to each other. We can arrive at sort of an objectively fair answer to the question of, for instance, how much in in America we'd say how much taxes should we pay. And um, but of course in Judaism until modern times, tzedakah was essentially was a tax. It was um, it was something the community organized when Jews lived only uh, among ourselves and governed ourselves in, uh, in Kihilot like that. And uh, um, so on the one side is this question of, I think, fairness as an, as an abstraction. Under, under fair conditions, we could agree you know, who gets to keep what. That's, uh, and, that actually, and, that he's, and he's suspicious of, of self-knowledge in the sense that we are, Rawls says we're inherently biased. Human beings will, will given the chance, um, uh, you know, just act in our own personal interests, and um, so therefore something will have to be done to prevent, to overcome, to sort of counter for that. Um, that's on one side. And, um, but I wanted to do that, that struck me as, uh, I thought about this the first time I encountered a particular halakha about tzedakah. So if you go to the, the next sheet, the, uh, So the question of you know why will we share why will we why will we give what's the basis of that? Um, so when I read this particular halacha, it struck me as in a way the opposite of Rawls or a, or a different a completely different mindset to the same conclusion. I think um, along your lines. And um, so the third halacha that introduces um, the laws of tzedakah for for Rambam says, According to what uh, a poor person is lacking, you are commanded to give him. If he's lacking covering, uh, we cover him. If he doesn't have household utensils, we buy for him. Um, if he has no wife, they arrange for him to be able to marry. If she's a woman, they arrange for her to be able to marry. And the last part is what kind of catches me. Even if it was the way of this particular poor person in the past to have been riding on a horse with a servant running before him, and he became poor and uh, lost his possessions, uh, we buy him a horse to ride on and a servant to uh, run before him. You provide for a poor person enough for his lack that he is lacking. We're commanded to make up what he lacks, but not to make him rich. Uh, but the text from Deuteronomy they're focusing on is, I put with, with italics, right? Whatever that particular person is lacking, that's the thing which you should provide. So it's, the, it's a completely personal approach to being responsive to the needs of other people. And you know, in just the, uh, the couple minutes, I think the question is, so, so if we're trying to think about what's, what are we teaching or what are we cultivating in ourselves, is it a sense of fairness in the, the abstract Rawls way? We really ought to share in this way. Or do we go the way Rambam suggests, which is to be incredibly personally aware of other people's needs and act and give because of our because of our dramatic awareness of ourselves in relation to, to other people. These are two very opposite, I think, positions that strike me. Anyone? Just a quick one, one more question. Yeah, his writing was informed by his relationship 
larger world through a personal lens. I think that's possible. Mm. That's interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah. Um, because actually the, the situation of the, the person who used to ride on the horse is taken from the Talmud um, as something which Hillel Hazakim did in an instance. And Rambam makes it a law. I mean, I don't think he really makes it a law. Like, we all have to be expected to do it. But as the basis for, again, setting our, our policies about, about sharing our collective wealth is, uh, is one approach more a firmer ground than the other, an approach of involvement or an approach of collection and detachment. That's a big philosophical kind of question for three minutes before we're, we're supposed to leave. But anybody else want to say anything here? How does this go back to the casino address? Yeah, you know, this one, I, this, you know, this I'm not, um, well, I think that it's, it, it potentially I, 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 does as a general. funny, but what yeah. I was thinking about was that the casino operators, when they're doing this, they say, okay, we can statistically pre- uh, predict how many people will be consumed by this gambling mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. and we're going to mitigate that by whatever program. Yes, yes. And is that what we're talking about here? In other words, we have a specific group of people that we know are um, potential victims of this allegedly socially mm-hmm. positive thing. So uh, can I add something? Yes, yeah. So That's great, that yeah. If you're going to take that kind of approach, I think you always have to ask the question, what's being left out? So it's like the Pinto, you know, if they, mm-hmm. if they frame the problem, you know, just in terms of money, you have to ask yourself, what else is being left out in terms of social good? All these other costs that they don't see as part of this, this thing. So... I don't know, you know, which way to kind of take on this, but it, it seems to me if you are going to take that, you still turn the question and you know, using the terminology that I'm, I'm using, you know, quantitatively kind of assess these things. I think you still have to always step back. And I know ask yourself what's left out. So that's so. This is fabulous. I think that um, that John Rawls, who's not a utilitarian, but who's trying to make sure that that's in the service of helping the least well off, he would absolutely, I think, say that the solution of taking some of the proceeds and funding treatment programs so that we get the good and we take care of those who are harmed. That's exactly what would come out of his scheme. But I think Rambam would say um, he's, got, he's got this question of being very aware of the need of the particular. Um, and, uh, and then he has this thing before, which I didn't talk about, which is its own uh, thing as to what's kind of a standard. You know, you have to have clothes, you have to have a household, and you have to have a family, whatever that is. And I think that might tilt in the in the other direction, as to being more sensitive to the, the qualitative life of the individual. Yeah. My question is, it's difficult to evaluate uh, a decision like this in a vacuum, and two things have come to mind. One is, better we have online gambling, we have other outlets that exist today mm-hmm. for gambling. And second is, you can look at a stock market example. Mm-hmm. So, how does, how does it all fit together? Yeah, that's good. And I um, so um, so let me use that to uh, to kind of start to, to draw us towards a conclusion. What um, what I meant to do, you know, particularly for, for those who might be conceptually inclined, particularly, is to try to um, see how some of these kinds of questions might be framed or set up in in philosophy, the way that Professor Sandel has done that, and in some Jewish texts, in the way that are either explicit or subjective, and to send you off if you're intrigued by this, um, I would encourage you to go back and uh, uh, set up an opportunity with somebody to, uh, or if you're a teacher, to, to teach some of these texts and to try to, to mix it up and answer um, those kinds of questions. And also, if you're intrigued by this, absolutely 
go read the book or, uh, or figure out a way to, to draw on Professor Sandel's teaching as a, way to, as a way to frame our thoughts. To some degree, he helps, he's helped me to not only frame, frame his thoughts, frame general thoughts, but also to, um, to frame my Jewish thoughts as I'm having them, and to, sometimes in his terms and sometimes in contrast, uh, by clarifying what's the Jew, why is the Jewish way different. Um, and uh, so, for instance, um, there is a um, there's a wonderful work of philosophy by Rabbi Soloveitchik called uh, The Lonely Man of Faith, in which he um, talks about two types of, he talks about the two stories of creation, um, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, 3, as two different prototypes of human nature. He calls them, you know, Adam 1 and Adam 2. Adam 1 is the, uh, is the economic person of the utilitarian philosophers, and Adam 2 is the covenantal person of the Jewish philosophers. And um, so we can kind of use that. Um, the other thing I'll just say is, so, so I think, um, at, I don't believe that necessarily there's a pure way to integrate these perspectives, but they do, they, they, help, us, they help us clarify, and I think they help us ask and, and sharpen the questions. Because I think it's not enough to simply have our opinions and intuitions if we're going to make big decisions, whether it's for our small communities or in our lives, or to advise um, our society, here we have to vote in just a couple of days about these things, to try to sharpen our views and know why it is, at least, that we're acting choosing in a certain way. The other thing that I happened to get from Professor Sandel, and I didn't realize this, um, I didn't realize, I didn't realize how committed to this I was until the end of his course, and I asked about my, my own reaction. Um, the philosophies that I've presented and suggested and their analogs in Jewish texts, none of them are exactly his own philosophy, but he ends up in a place that he calls communitarianism, in which, um, in which the value of the community itself and uh, is, a, is, a, is a prime value beyond economics and beyond, beyond money, and, uh, and in which the meaning of our wealth is itself constructed by our discussion about it. So the meaning of, the meaning of what we have is shaped not by the, the dollar bills and the neutral way in which we use it, but by all the things that we have in our community as teachings about it. And he says there would be no automatic way to reason our way through this, but to get to know our own communities discussion and to be in it, and to make sure we, we are a community that invokes our traditions and talks about it in a messy process, but one that will, um, that will have the effect not only of abstract justice to individuals, but that will also build a sense of community uh, looking for the common good, a community who don't just do the right thing, but think about doing the right thing together. And um, I found that very congenial, and I realized that as, as alluring as some of these other philosophies were, um, this, there's a reason that he put this at the end. I don't know, uh, Professor Sandel is Jewish, I didn't mention that. Um, and uh, that's why he's in some of these things. I haven't had a chance to talk to him directly about his, uh, his take, although he mentions he'll make reference to Jewish situations or teachings along the way. What I personally have found is that as I have studied more, I went from the kind of abstract concepts of Professor Sandel's course to wanting to study Talmud and see how they're instantiated in particular cases. And... Um, and, uh, and then I realized that, um, to some degree, um, there's a mix of, of each of these in different situations. Um, it's, not, it's not these pure four philosophies that I've listed, and, uh, but they, they do tend to, to intermix. But I found the process of clarifying to be one that's valuable, helps us talk to each other. Um, that may be, and in some ways that's where, where Professor Sandel ends in his course and in his book, 
um, with a, an advocacy for dialogue and community, which is, of course, easy for us to say, um, and of course, easy to do for an hour session, go and continue to talk about this. I can't give you any firm sakalakha. I don't have an absolute answer to the casino question or how to allocate <laughs> scarce health care. Um, but I think this is a good way to enter into it and to get a group of people talking about it. And uh, so I much appreciate the chance to, to do this and to try this out with you and uh, your thoughtful comments on the sources that we have. And uh, so let's go study some more. I like to conclude a study session, um, and I owe this to, to my former colleague, uh, Rabbi Daniel Cohen, um, who took this kavanah, which we have in Sidur Sim Shalom when we study in the morning. Um, and the, uh, the kavanah at the end is, Yehi ratzon milfanecha Adonai Eloheinu ve'elohei avoteinu shetiten chelkeinu betoratecha v'nihiyeh mitalmidav shelaharon hakohen ohev shalom v'rodef shalom ohev etabriyot v'mekarvan Torah. May God grant us our portion in the Torah and may we be among the disciples of Aaron the Kohen who was a lover of peace and a pursuer of peace who loved all of God's creatures and tried to bring them close to Torah. Thank you so much.